51 episodes later, and it's still my favorite thing in the world to listen to one of these recordings and hear that theme music. And right afterwards, my own voice talking about comics with you. Here, in a place we like to call the Spinner Rack. A place outside of time, a place outside of, well, space and many other layered dimensions. A place where Spinner Rack sits spinning before you, holding all the books published by DC Comics this week. And you only get to pick five. Guess what? I decided to help you out with that. I picked the five for you. In fact, I'm going to share them with you now, here on episode number 51 of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, hosted by yours truly, Seth Singleton. Without any further ado, let us pick up with the first choice, Amethyst number two, a book that I was aware of as having a role during, I believe, the 1980s. I'll have to do some history on this. But I remember seeing the character at one point during Crisis on Infinite Earths, and I was impressed by the display of powers. I think because when I first came across Amethyst, there was an overlaying sense of purple, which at the time was very off-putting to me. It, it, it was glaring, it was jarring, and it didn't connect with me in any way that made me desire opening the book, reading through it, learning about the character. But later that snapshot from Crisis on Infinite Earths and the way Amethyst was using her powers was something that caught my attention. Now, not everyone is going to be as moved by different characters at different times. If you can hear in the background right now, there is the rumbling snoring of my French bulldog Bruno, who very rarely seems impressed by any of the books I picked. He just seems to snore and slumber away without showing the slightest bit of excitement, let alone enthusiasm. But when I picked up Amethyst number one, I was really caught in a tough place by not including it that week here on the Spinner Rack. Issue number two is my redemption. In this story, Out of Place, a story with art and story by Amy Reader, a cover by Amy Reader that is very impressive, followed by letters by Gabriella Downey. I love the idea of this creator-owned project, executing the art and the story, and I feel that there's a tone that's established through that that's very clear from the first pages of this book, much as I noticed in issue number one. In issue number two, Amethyst has already returned to Gemworld. She's 16, and she's been the ruler of the Amethyst Empire, part of Gemworld, for three years now. She essentially has things figured out. She knows how it all works. She's explaining to us, the new initiates, the new people to her world, the strangers who might not know about these things. She's introducing it all to us as though she's lived there her entire life. And yet, much as in last issue, we're seeing that she doesn't know quite as much as she thinks she does. This issue opens with her finding herself at odds with yet another empire that she thought was an ally. The difficulties that arise from that... (laughs) 
<laughs> lead to quite an interesting journey that is set in motion because of her defiance at the way she's being treated and her companions who are very interesting in their ability to show her parts of the world this world she claims to know so much about that she isn't really aware of at first she's resistant and believes that she is being used for her notoriety but then there is a moment when her mockery of a gift from mom and dad about the healing powers of gems leads not only one set of companions but a new friend as well to encourage her to try a healing alignment ritual that will open her eyes to unseen knowledge what follows next is a discovery that perhaps everything she has been taught is untrue whether that's by intention or ignorance is something that we'll have to discover in later issues but this discovery is shocking is heartbreaking and it puts into question much of the identity that she has created for herself this issue begins with amethyst explaining to us what her world is how it works and what we should know and by the end of this issue it's clear that there is much more that amethyst not only does not know but needs to learn wants to learn and that knowledge will most likely drastically impact who she is, who she thinks she is, and who she will eventually become. I thought this was a great second issue, a great way to take what any expectations might have been placed on Amethyst, and much like the first issue, push past them, show a different world, one that is unrecognizable, even though it should be familiar one that is changed without the hero or heroine's knowledge. And with that, the discovery that understanding how the world you think you know really works is part of growing up. At 16, Amethyst, Amy, is about to discover what that journey looks like for her. I thought this was a great book to add to your collection. I feel that if you haven't had a chance, now's the time to catch up on Amethyst 1. Now follow it up with Amethyst 2 and join me on this discovery where a young woman who essentially believed she understood how the world works is making the discovery that many of us will encounter at some point, which is there's what we're taught and then there's what we learn. And I think this is a great introduction and a great example of that concept. And I look forward to seeing where Amy is taking us next. I think it's going to be a great discovery. And I'm looking forward to the fact that the purples that I've seen in this issue are a very different tone than what I remember from the Amethyst of my early comic book days. And that so much about her world is actually shaped by that hue. I'm curious to hear your thoughts as well about what this all might mean. 
and the book itself as well as all the other books we cover today. Amethyst number two was a five out of five in my book. I'm happy to kick off this episode with it. But now it just means it's time to move to book number two. And for that second book, I chose Batman Superman number eight. I really enjoyed this story. I loved the sort of cliffhanger that ended last issue with Roz, Zod, Superman, Batman in a temple attempting to make something happen (laughs) of which not everyone is in agreement. Zod wants to bring back the bottled city of Kandor, which was slain by using a Lazarus pit. And he succeeds in immersing the Kandorians in the pit. And what happens next is the substance of issue number eight. In a great story written by Joshua Williamson, with art by Nick Darrington, colors by Dave McCaig, letters by John J. Hill, and a really great cover by Nick Darrington with a equally impressive variant cover by Andy Kubert and Brad Anderson. Candor lives in this new existence, but the Lazarus Pit is a well-known monster, something that twists, changes, corrupts, demonizes those who are immersed in its waters and brought back to life. And even after years of isolation, trading, preparation, many do not recover from the madness. All of these things are something that Zod is unwilling to worry about because his singular goal is to rule. There's a story about Candor that is part of his history and the opening and ending of this book introduce the beginning of that story but it hasn't yet been fully told what that connection might be how its roots have somehow grown so close to the heart of general zod is something i'm looking forward to discovering but during this storyline what we are discovering is that zod is the only one who believes in the plan he is enacting. And when he thinks he succeeded, the uh, decision to intervene by Ra's al Ghul is brought with a great line, which is that death is his to deny and his alone. This leads to a conflict between them and Batman and Superman must choose who will stop Zod and Raz, and who will save the citizens of Kandor, especially now that they've been weakened by a red sun grenade detonated by Raz and used to bring the current chaos to a brief standstill. I really enjoyed how much of this story wants to come from a place that Zod believes is noble and true and yet his actions as defined by batman superman and even Roz, contradict that now i must say 
that when it comes to someone whose nickname is the demon, if they're looking at what you're doing and calling it into question, it might be worth considering that you've lost all sense, scope, or ability to navigate reasonably. Perhaps Zod has always been that way. Perhaps the tragedy he faces has twisted him into a being that can never return to what he once was. But there will also always be those who contradict him, who stand against him. Superman and Batman and even Roz are part of that effort to quell his desire. Not only for the safety of the Kandorians, but the world that would not be able to survive so many Kryptonians in a somewhat diminutive size, but with powers that could wipe the earth clean. It's a haunting story and really well told. I love the development. I love the art, the shading, whether it's the green tint of the Lazarus pit or the bright sky that explodes around them when they leave the temple and Batman and Superman set out on their equal missions. This was a great five out of five book, one that continues to tell the story of Batman and Superman, tackling the challenges only they can handle. And I think this book does a nice job at the end of making a note for why that is and who they are and what makes them such an amazing team. A really great book that I hope you'll enjoy. A great five out of five. Oh, and before I forget, there's this moment that suggests that the plan that Zod put in place was not his only plan for the Kandorians. It would appear that not all of the survivors of the city were used in this experiment. Where could the others be? That is a great mystery for the future. With that, we're going to take a quick ad break, pay some bills, bring you a little bit of information about what's going on out there in the DC Comics world and DC Comics news as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with 3, 4, and 5. Hi, everyone. I'm here to tell you about the DC Comics news podcast. Here every week to talk everything DC. Movies, TV, comics, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. (laughs) No, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Regardless, you can catch us on every kind of podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher, and everywhere you find great podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. (laughs) (laughs) No. First, there was the DC Comics News podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now... The third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am The Night. A story about the stories. A show 
celebrating Batman, the animated series, week by week, episode by episode, just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the Knight. And we're back. Thanks for taking that quick ad break with us. Gives us a chance to keep the lights on, and we always appreciate that especially because it allows us to keep coming back with great content like this. And now we have an opportunity to move into my third choice for this week. I'm looking at Detective Comics number 1021 with a story in words by Peter J. Tomasi, pencils by Brad Walker, colors by Brad Anderson, Andrew Hennessy providing the inks, Rob Lay with the letters, Walker, Hennessy, and Anderson collaborating on the original cover with a variant cover by Lee Bermejo. I like this variant cover. I'm not sure if it's just the moon behind the blood red tint or the blur of batarangs flying towards the viewer, the reader, and the actual blurring of the motion of those batarangs as they fly towards you. In a story titled Ugly Heart, we get the opportunity to see Batman and Two-Face, Harvey Dent, on the same page, their stories told side by side, their goals, some might consider similar, their motives, completely different, and a war that is taking place within Harvey Dent, one in which he is trying to control Two-Face, but Two-Face has taken on a new level of fanaticism as the leader of a cult, soldiers, members, acolytes, dressed in either all black or all white suits, a coin imprinted into the heads of the leaders, Vice and versa. And on this night, they're directed to go out and to be the force of the law based on the flip of a coin and the simplicity that Two-Face claims his belief system offers. And yet he's conflicted when he arrives at the Batcave, just as Batman is setting out to stop him. Locked in restraints in the Batmobile, Harvey pleads with Batman to help him find a way to stop Two-Face from taking over. That Harvey is struggling and fighting, but it's a fight he believes he's losing. There's a real compassion and empathy displayed by Batman as he works to uncover what the dark side of Harvey Dent has been doing. It takes him to the Gotham City Courthouse, a courthouse with a history that dates back to a time when the entire city was made from wood. And as he explores deeper, Batman not only discovers just how great this new threat by Two-Face might be, but a sudden and shocking ending that you must read for yourselves reveals the lengths that Two-Face might be willing to go to this time around. And if Harvey should continue down this path, well, it might be a choice 
from which he can never return. Knowing how much Batman cares about the fight and the struggle that Harvey faces daily, it would be heartbreaking to see it come to this kind of an end. But I also feel that the story has not reached its conclusion, and I'm looking forward to seeing what issue number 1022 has in store. This was a great issue that displayed really impressive writing talents, gorgeous art, shadows, tone, and uh, a new twist on the ferocity of Two-Face. I feel like every artist, every writer is able to expose something different about the power and potential of Batman's rogue gallery. Peter J. Tomasi and his amazing team do an amazing job for this issue. It's a very strong 5 out of 5 and a great way to pick things up after our ad break and lead into my fourth choice. And for this time around, I'm featuring Legion of Superheroes, issue number 5. With a script by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Ryan Sook, Scott Godlewski, and Wade Vaughn Grawbadger, colors by Jordi Belair, letters by Dave Sharp, a great cover by Ryan Sook, and a lovely variant cover by Alex Garner. It shows all the wonder and possibility and joy that I remember in my earliest exposures to the Legion of Superheroes and the way it's demonstrated here, it feels earnest, uh, youthful and childlike. And there's something quite wonderful about it. I hope you get a chance to check it out for yourself. Whichever cover you get, the story inside is one I think you'll enjoy as well. What I really thought worked for this story is this approach where Superboy, young John Kent, I always want to say Superman, and I have to remember this is his son, is learning about the history of the Legion of Superheroes. It's a history lesson that keeps getting interrupted, but this time it would appear he has a better chance. This is all occurring, of course, after the science police attempt to restrain or invade the headquarters of the Legion and Brainiac puts on a very impressive display and with everything going on Superboy has to wonder why it's so important for him to have this history lesson and yet the others make it clear especially Bouncing Boy that they've got this and he needs to understand what's going on before he can actually be of a great help to them so Superboy goes back in and while he does, we not only get a chance to see a new version of R.J. Brand, who I always remember as being somewhat portly, balding man with a mustache, in this version, a much more interesting leader and president of the United Planets. Someone who is inspired in this retelling of history by the actions of a few and chooses to build a legion of superheroes based on their ideals and in reference to the legendary heroes of Earth many millennia ago. Now, the interesting thing that I find here is the fact that this is not only part of the history of the Legion of Superheroes, but part of its mission and purpose. The initial three chosen by R.J. Brand 
are aware that through Saturn girl's understanding, the motives are not all pure. The intentions are probably selfish. The president is acting in her best interest, although this is something that they can use because it's an opportunity for them to all do something bigger than that. It's also what Brainiac learns when he talks with Deep Raggle and learns that Raggle is actually the, uh, or is it, did I say that incorrectly? I meant to say Reap Daggle, but learning a member of the Legion is the son of the president or the child of the president, since when you're talking about a chameleon, do you really get into gender? Interesting. We'll probably learn more about that later. However, this discovery introduces the fact that she's scared. She doesn't know what to do. She's acting out of fear, and because of that, the Legion will have to do their best to respond to whatever emotional choices she makes from this point on. This is important because as Superboy learns, there's a very powerful connection to who he is and where he's from, and there's a, a beyond cosmic relevance to the time that he's from, one that Brainiac has discovered and shares with Superboy, but apparently not all the Legion know this information. A lot of great secrets revealed in this story, a lot of the basis for what I believe will be the next trajectory and arc, if not many arcs, moving forward with the Legion of Superheroes, and I really enjoy the way it set things up and the potential behind these new revelations. Legion of Superheroes, number five, a really great five out of five, something that I continue to enjoy and I look forward to sharing with you as often as I can. However, it's time for our fifth and final choice. And for that book, I had to go with Hellblazer, John Constantine Hellblazer, that is. Issue number five in a great story titled Scrubbing Up, part two. Now, if you've been following Constantine, you'll know that he recently came across a young man who would like to be called Tommy Willowtree, whose name is not actually that, but it's the one he's taken on now. Someone who appears to supersede John in so many ways and yet can't help but showing this very sweet and tender reverence to John Constantine as the example who is his inspiration. John is old, tired, looking more worse for wear than usual, doing his best to try and be dapper, sharp, clean, and failing in every respect. But in this issue, after going out drinking, making a bit of a fool of himself, He's faced with the, well, irrepressible buoyance of Tommy, who, for whatever reason, doesn't get hangovers. Maybe it has to do with all of those grains and peat moss that he enjoys. Or maybe it's something else. But John seeks deeper answers than what he's being presented with. And his discovery is that those who approach Tommy and told him that he was now the successor of John's mantle are actually 
not the great prophesying figures of ancient lore and Arthurian myth that they presented themselves to be, but actually those who conspire, those who seek to find a way to essentially bring those into play that they wish to bring into play. And because of that, poor John is about to discover just how bad things can be thanks to the efforts of Clarice Sackville and how through her machinations, young Tommy is now actually in grave danger. And the mystery about the evil that has been spreading itself, the one that Tommy tried to warn Constantine about last issue, the one that John is able to dispel, but also learning more difficult things about, is an evil that comes close to his personal history. And it has to do with this interesting idea of whether or not each of us has a characteristic personality trait, a tick, a laugh, a chuckle, a snort, a sigh, a grumble, something that we are recognized for and defined by, or at least in the eyes or ears of others, represented by. This is something that appears to be a mirror of John, an older mirror, a reflection. Could it be a future version of John? Someone who was under his tutelage, someone who perhaps taught him. The connection is close, but what exactly it might mean is harrowing, because Tommy now is well aware that whatever evil is hunting him is actually connected more closely than Constantine than he thought, and that might lead to a greater understanding of the man he has so far put on a pedestal. What will come crashing down? Where will this discovery take us? What more can be learned about the connection John has to the evil that's attacking his home and that has brought so many things into play? It's a good thing there's more issues coming. With that, I am happy to give John Constantine's Hellblazer issue number five. A really great five out of five. And it's one of the reasons that I enjoy sharing these great books here with you on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. This has been episode number 51. Remember, if you want to catch up on all of the previous issues, all you have to do is go to your favorite podcast platform, whether it's Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Apple, any and all of the others. Find the DC Comics News Podcast, rate, subscribe, go back, catch up on every episode of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, and by being a subscriber, you can guarantee that you will never miss a future episode. I'd also like to encourage you to let me know about whatever you're thinking regarding what I talked about here on this episode or any episode of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. You can do that on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, 
so many more. All you need is the at symbol and DC Comics News. That's at capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N, E-W-S. Use that attention-grabbing method. Let us know. Let me know what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what your scores are, what books you would have picked, a book you think I missed, and the week I might have missed it. And remember that while you're catching up on us by subscribing to the DC Comics News Podcast Network, you also have a chance to catch up weekly on all the comings and goings in DC Comics, news from the movies, TV, streaming, comic books themselves, and so much more with the DC Comics News Weekly Podcast, where I join a great team, including Kelly Gaines, Brad Flicky, and Mr. Steve J. Ray, who is also the host of the newest addition to the podcast network, that of I Am The Night, an episode-by-episode breakdown of Batman the Animated Series that... If you love the show, I encourage you to check out. And if it's your first exposure, well, why not add a little bit more to your knowledge from a great, educated, and very engaging fan and podcaster. That brings us to a close. This has been episode number 51. I've been your host, Seth Singleton, and I would like to thank you again, as always, for joining me each and every week when I pick my top five books from DC Comics. Be here next week for more great choices. And remember, as always, read more comics. Thanks so much. See you next time.